Well, hi there, and welcome to Unshaken. I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host for today's episode, and I'm so glad you're joining me. I want to take a minute before we get started and invite you to head over to our socials, Facebook and Instagram. Follow or like us at Women of the Word CTW. This is our umbrella account that covers and highlights this podcast, Unshaken, our blog called Planted, our mom-to-mom ministry aimed at encouraging mothers in the work they do, and also our Regarding Him conference that happens yearly in March. There is so much good content on these socials, you are not going to want to miss it, so go follow them today. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast directory, like Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, CastBox. It helps us out and it also helps you out because you get notifications of new episodes that drop each and every Thursday. You can also reach out to us at unshakenpsalm622 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you if you ever have any ideas, suggestions, or thoughts about an episode. Or maybe you just want to tell me about something that you heard on an episode and how it impacted you. Finally, Unshaken is a podcast for women, put on by women, and our goal is to encourage and challenge and point women to Jesus Christ. And as you know, with Jesus, we can be unshaken no matter our circumstances. Hey, let's jump right into our episode today. Today's episode is called Leaving a Spiritual Legacy. This is number 124. Early in the morning on January 26th, 44 years ago, here in Northwest Ohio, we received one of the worst storms that we've ever experienced. It was the blizzard of 1978. The blizzard battered the Midwest and Northeast, and it brought great devastation to the state of Ohio, which is where we are located. There was massive snowdrifts, and schools were closed for multiple weeks. Many residents locally were left without transportation and without the ability to get help. Snowfall was really difficult to measure because of the wind and the snowdrifts. Sometimes they were the snowdrifts were as high as 15 to 25 feet. And Columbus, Ohio received 6.9 inches of snow all the way up to 12.9 inches in Dayton, Ohio. It caused all the major highways to be shut down for six days straight. And actually, sadly, it caused 51 deaths. Now for me, I was only four years old. I didn't really understand any of this. I was so happy that my older brothers and sisters were home from school for a few days. It felt like a party and well, I love parties. Something else really fun happened. Right before this storm hit, my mom had been to the sewing store and purchased all the supplies to make me two Raggedy Ann dolls, Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy. And during the time when we were home because of these school closures, my mom just enjoyed sewing and spent the entire two weeks that we were home making, crafting, sewing my two favorite dolls. Now, I'm 48 today, and I still have these dolls. They are currently tucked away inside a tub, safe and sound, in my basement. I remember playing with these dolls for hours. They were my children, and they were my students in my classroom. And I remember watching them come to life as my mom carefully cut out the fabric and sewing of the arms and legs and body. And I remember how funny it was when they didn't have any hair and they sat in a chair until she had time to attach the the yarn, red yarn hair with a really big needle. And pretty soon they came to life. This story brings such fond memories to me. Now, you may be wondering why I'm bringing up Raggedy Ann dolls, but I think you're going to hear today about someone else's Raggedy Ann dolls as we jump into a talk given by Nell Maser at our Regarding Him conference a few years ago. The title is Leaving a Spiritual Legacy. Oh, and one more thing. In case you didn't know, the definition of legacy is an amount of money or property left to someone in a will. Other words that you might think of when you hear the word legacy include inheritance, heritage, endowment, or maybe even heirloom. Let's listen to find out how you and I can leave a spiritual legacy that lasts way longer than Raggedy Ann dolls in the tub of my basement. Well, thank you for coming. I didn't get anything ready. (laughs) 
All right. So how many of you have watched Antiques Roadshow? Antiques Roadshow. Yeah, you know Antiques Roadshow, right? Well, I used to watch that all the time because I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to find this treasure because I garage sale, like we were saying. You know, you're going to find that treasure that somebody else just has no clue about and they're going to toss it. And, and so I'd watch Antiques Roadshow thinking that, yeah. But anyway, one of the uh, memorable episodes was um, a man who brought in this Native American blanket. Somebody else watched it. Yeah, he was this old man, and they, he said, oh, we just throw this over the chair in our uh, family room or whatever. It just gathers dust. They didn't treat it with any special care. And um, he was very, very surprised and started crying. You remember that on camera? You know, it was worth like $100,000. $100, I can't remember exactly how much, but yeah, he was very shocked and... Um, and wept openly. My grandmother, on the other hand, uh, she was not wealthy. She had lots of <laughs> treasures in her house, but she was born in 1903 and on a farm in rural southern Indiana. <clears throat> and she began to learn all the needle arts at the age of six, because what else do you do? Six years old on a farm in southern Indiana. I mean, sticks. It's the sticks now. So imagine in 1903. Um, so these needle arts, they were not just hobbies, right? We all, how many of you knit, crochet, you embroidery, some people will sew. Um, but we don't do that anymore. And, and it's just a hobby for us, right? We don't, we don't do it for a living. Well, they had to do that because you, there weren't any stores for you to go buy any clothes. But I remember going spending the weekend with my grandmother. She took a piece of newspaper. She put it up against my body. She drew out the armholes and everything. And that was Friday night. On Sunday, I went home with a new dress or nightgown or something. And um, she might have even worked those buttonholes by hand. Anybody work buttonholes by hand? Anybody sew in here? Yeah, and do you like making buttonholes? <laughs> buttonholes are a pain. Imagine making them by hand. Yeah, we don't do that anymore. That was my grandmother. <clears throat> she became an artist with needle and thread. Her work is amazing. Her color her eye for color was not always so good, and so although she's made many quilts and they're beautiful, we just don't really want to put them on our beds because they're not very pretty. But the needlework is beautiful. <laughs> so when I was in high school, she asked me what I wanted for Christmas, and I said, I want a Raggedy Ann and Andy doll. Aren't these beautiful? Well, I think they're beautiful. One of the, one of the kids in our small group said, that's a doll from my nightmares. <laughs> Can you imagine this beautiful doll? A doll from my nightmares? I don't get it, but she made this. Um, so the story is that I, I didn't know until later, this dress was made from a feather bed ticking. Who knows what a feather bed ticking is? Can somebody tell us what? Because I kept meaning to look that up. What is a ticking? <laughs> I think it's like a pillowcase, right? It's like a pillowcase and you stuff it full of feathers or corn husks or not husks, corn. Yeah. Corn yeah, not cobs. <laughs> not corn cobs. Don't put corn cobs in your feather bed ticking. Anyway, so she put, um, she took this feather bed ticking. This was during the depression. She made a shirt for her husband, my grandpa, and three shirts, one each for my dad and my two uncles, out of this feather bed ticking. And then with the scraps, okay, that was in the Depression. Then in the 70s, she made this little dress. Is that not just adorable? Yeah, it's a treasure. And there's tatting. Anybody know what tatting is? See this lace right here? If you're nice, I'll let you come up and look at it carefully. But you have to be careful. <laughs> you can touch. Anyway, this was a treasure for me. I mean, this fabric, I don't know. It's a treasure. Anyway, so my friend, really an acquaintance, she had this business and 
Grable, Indiana, and they did resale and stuff, and she had Raggedy Ann dolls all over this place. And <clears throat> I, I said, oh, you collect Raggedy Ann dolls. I have this beautiful set that my grandmother made me. And I was telling her about it, so proud. She goes, oh, those aren't worth anything. <laughs> have, have you seen those flat face emojis? <laughs> you know, that was me. I was like, before even emojis existed, I had a flat face emoji. <clears throat> so anyway, this is what my grandmother does. She is, yeah. So she left me these treasures. She gave these to me for Christmas, and I love them. But they're very, very valuable to me, not so much to other people. That blanket was super duper valuable. He had no idea. But both of these items, though they're treasures to both of us, um, you can't take them with you, right? can't take these things with you. These are great memories for me. And I, I treasure them. But Jesus tells us, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust corrupts, where thieves break in and steal. But store up treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust can corrupt, or thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that where is where your heart will be. So what are you storing up? What are you treasuring? What are you working for? <clears throat> are you working for temporal things, things that will corrupt, or are you working for eternity? Uh, I have a few examples of people that poured into my life, and some of them were just little, little drops into my life. But I remember as a child, my Uncle Bob and Aunt Jean coming to our house and they would walk in the door, hi, they're Southerners, hi, how are ya? Praise the Lord, hallelujah. And we would look at them like, oh, these guys are weird, you know? Because <laughs> these things were not said in my house, um, but they would bring these little booklets, these little red booklets with scriptures in them. Tiny little booklets, probably the only scripture was John 3:16 or something because it was big letters and it was for kids. And they would bring us pencils with Bible verses on it and we thought that was cool. But, you know, that stuck with me, that their joy. And I later found out that they had recently come to faith in Christ. We didn't know that, you know, I was just little. And, uh, you know, I couldn't understand or didn't understand that kind of stuff. But then as I got older, my mom sent me and my sister, older sister to church camp. And I remember hearing about the gospel. I don't hardly remember anything. I just remember my emotions after that. I heard the gospel and I was convicted of sin. The only sin that I really knew of because I had no training. You know, I, I didn't go to church, but I remember... Stealing is a sin, right? And as a six-year-old, everybody knows that stealing is a sin. And so we went to the store one night or one afternoon, and I asked my mom, I said, can I have a piece of bubble gum? And she said, no. And I reached down, and I took that piece of bubble gum, and I stuck it in my pocket, and I went home, and I cherished that piece of bubble gum. It was great. But a few years later, I'm at church camp. I hear the gospel. They're talking about sin, and I'm like... I'm a sinner because I stole a piece of bubble gum. I didn't realize that, you know, there were other sins to be guilty of. Um, so I cried and cried, and this um, camp counselor, God bless her, she told me that God would forgive me and prayed with me, and I felt relieved to know that I was forgiven for my thievery. <laughs> I remember when I was in college, I had a roommate, Margaret. She was a Christian, and she um, quietly lived her life for God. I wondered how she could be so good. She never swore. I swore like a sailor. Um, yeah, it was bad. I was bad. She was happy, and she was content, and I was anxious and worried and discontent. Um, couldn't figure it out. But her brother-in-law came to visit us, and um, brother-in-law and sister and their little baby, and he had his Bible. He was a pastor, and so he was working on his sermon. So I sat down 
Oh, I don't want to tell that part yet. (laughs) Anyway, he shared scripture with me and I was, whoa, you know, listening to this. And he was, I thought, boy, hmm, there's something about this. It made a difference to me. I went, I then came to Christ. I um, understood, I repented, but then I, I went to college in Florida and I remember an elderly woman who went to my church there, she would invite me over for weekends and she would fix home cooked meals for me. She was a Southern woman. She would make um, cornbread and <coughs> collards and oh man, she was a good cook. And what a blessing that someone would take the time to invite a college student who was far from home. That was a very great encouragement. And we would talk about the Lord and we would share scripture. It was really a great time. Then later I got married and um, moved to New England. Greg and I moved to New England and um, I was teaching uh, kindergarten and one of my little boys, her, his mother invited us over for dinner one night. And, you know, it wasn't anything elaborate. I think it was a turkey that she had in the freezer for months, you know, because, you know, you get them right before Thanksgiving. And so you have all these turkeys because they're cheap at Thanksgiving. So she just made us a turkey and we had a nice meal and fun and fellowship. We laughed and we we talked about the Lord. It was such a blessing. And I was lonely because I was newlywed, didn't know anybody. I was in New England. I'm a Midwesterner. Here I was. I didn't know anybody. And I mean, I love my husband, but still, you need other friends, right? So anyway, that was such a blessing in my life. Well, later on, someone shared this verse, and it meant so much to me. I thought I would share this with you. On your handout, um, this verse from Acts chapter 17 says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Rather, he... He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives every gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, any one of us. So we're to leave a legacy, right? A spiritual legacy. What do I mean by legacy? A legacy is a bequest, an inheritance, a gift given upon death, stated in a legal will, right? The Bible talks about an inheritance being a very important thing. We should... A a good man, in Proverbs it says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So this is a very important thing. But these people that invested in my life, they were just everyday people. They were not, I mean, the one was a pastor, but everybody else, they were just regular people. They weren't anybody special. They didn't have any superpowers or, you know, degrees in theology or anything, but they had the love of Christ that they shared with others. And moth and rust does not destroy what happens with that legacy. You should be intentional about leaving a legacy. You know, sometimes people will die without leaving a will and You know, there are months and months you're waiting for probate courts to get through all this. And it's very distressing because they didn't do something that they should have done. And, you know, there are various reasons for that. But we should be intentional about leaving a spiritual legacy because people need to see Christ in us. If we are Christians, they should see Christ in us. A bigger, yeah, I already said that. (laughs) So I want to leave you with three truths to encourage you to leave a legacy that will have eternal value. First of all, we are sharing the love of Christ. Then number two, we share that love in the role that God has placed us. We Christian women, we share that love, the love of God in the role that he has placed us. And we share that love, number three, regardless of our circumstances. 
So first of all, let's talk about what it means to share the love of Christ. Who can tell me what the first and greatest commandment is? I don't have any prizes for anybody, but you probably all know that, right? The first and greatest commandment. With all your, with all your, with all your, and strength, right. Right, so what does that mean? What does it mean to love the Lord your God? How do we do that? How, is it just being good? I am not going to swear. You know, before I, here I was, started college middle of August. I was living with this girl who was a Christian. She was so good. She never swore. I, w- I decided I'm not going to swear anymore. I could not do that. I tried. I tried not swearing. I tried to be good. I couldn't do it on my own power. But when I came to Christ, I quit swearing within a short period of time. You see, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit within us helps us. He sanctifies us. And I'm thankful for that. That was not even in my notes. Hey. <laughs> so Margaret, she was this good, good girl. And I just couldn't get over it. How, how does this happen? She had faith. I had none. I was struggling with this childhood faith, you know, I prayed that I would be forgiven for stealing that piece of bubble gum, and, but I didn't live for God anymore. I had no encouragement to do so. But here was this girl who really loved God. It puzzled me. So she never sat down with me and said, okay, here's this little piece of paper. It's got these four spiritual laws. And she she didn't read those. She didn't do that. She didn't read me the Roman road of salvation, nothing like that. She just lived her life quietly for God. We did have a couple of conversations about God. But then her brother-in-law and sister and their little baby came to visit us. And here he opened his Bible and he was sharing the prophecies, their fulfillment. As he was doing that, I'm like, you know, my eyes kept getting bigger and bigger and they were getting big because they were filling with tears and I wasn't about to cry. (laughs) I wasn't about to cry. No way. And so I'm like this. And then my roommate comes in with her sister and I quick, I made my exit and I went to my room and my heart's thumping. I'm like, whoa, what is this? What is going on? I couldn't figure it out. That night he told me he, they were leaving and he said, Nell, you're only one prayer away. And I'm, I just started bawling. I just cried and I cried and I cried. And he led me in prayer and I repented of sin. I trusted Christ. What a blessing that was. I suddenly knew that God's word was real. How did I know that? It was only the spirit of God that could, could help me to see that. So... You know, I I heard this message and I trembled knowing, understanding that God was real when I had, as a high school student, I had rejected God and I had, there's no God. And even if there is, I don't need him, you know. But then when I heard these words, God's powerful word, he convicted me of my sin. Um, Why am I telling you this? First of all, it is the most important event of my entire life. It's more important than the marriage to my, my marriage to my wonderful husband. It's more important than the birth of my children. My daughter is sitting right here. I love her dearly, <laughs> but the love of Christ is more important than that. Secondly, there might be somebody here, I don't know, there's so many of you women here that I don't know, but you might not know that love of Christ. I used to lay in bed at night after my grandpa died, and I would just cry and cry. (laughs) So you get it honest, Abby. She used to do that too, but for different reasons. But anyway, I would lay there, and I would picture my grandpa up in outer space floating around, you know, because I had no idea. I knew nothing about God. I knew nothing about Jesus except as a swear word. And (laughs) yeah, sorry. (laughs) It's true. It's true. That's the only way I ever heard Jesus name mentioned unless my aunt and uncle came to visit us. Anyway, so I want you to know if you don't know the peace. See, after I came to know Christ, I no longer cried myself to sleep at night for that reason. I probably did a couple other times. But I didn't cry myself from fear because I knew 
that my sins were forgiven and that I had a home in heaven. So God made that real to me. And I want you to know that too. So that's the second reason I share that. But thirdly, we cannot share the love of Christ if we don't actually possess that in our hearts. So you have to have it in order to give it. So if you want to leave a legacy for Christ, an eternal legacy, you must know the forgiveness of God. And he is willing to give that to you. He is willing to forgive you of your sins. So if you would like to speak with me afterwards or any of the other speakers, we can share, um, we can pray with you and talk to you about your faith in Christ. So our first, the first commandment is to love God with all our hearts. The second greatest commandment is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. And so really, that's what we're doing when we're leaving a spiritual legacy. We are loving our neighbor as ourself. We're looking at people not just as someone with flesh and blood that lives next door or whatever. We're seeing them eternally. So the first um, role that I want to talk about is the role of motherhood. Most of us are mothers, have been mothers, will be mothers. Some of us will not, but first of all, I want to share that, um, the importance of leaving, leaving a legacy as a mother. Um, you know, our, our, our culture is consumed by the extraordinary. You know, if you have some extraordinary story, then you get on the news, then you get on Facebook. And, you know, I mean, it has to be extraordinary. But do we live extraordinary lives? Now, most of our lives are very mundane and boring. Same old, same old, right? Yeah, we don't usually have something great happen that is newsworthy. Um, so the pervasive nature of social media creates dissatisfaction in us because we scroll through our news feed and we go, oh, look at that, oh, look at that, look at this, look at that. And everybody's got a more exciting life than we do. As a mother, it's not that way, is it? It is boring sometimes. Sometimes it's just like very mundane, but we have to keep our eyes on eternity when we are mothering our children. So our culture looks at motherhood disdainfully. There's nothing glamorous about it. It makes our bodies look weird and, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, motherhood is the most influential position, um, uh, position in the world, right? You can probably finish this sentence. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Yes. So I want to just share a few things about my life as an imperfect mother. Greg and I were married in 1987 and we looked forward to having children, but the months and the years went by and I never conceived. The doctor said that we probably would never have any children. Well, God was merciful, praise God. And after four years of infertility, I did conceive. But then I had a miscarriage. That was awful. I was very angry at God with that. Very angry. I was so bitter. But God was still merciful. And I conceived again. And we had Luke. Luke um, was born. And he had to be in NICU for a, a week. And then finally I came home with him and then Greg went off to work. You know, Luke was born at, I think, 8.15 in the morning. And then after being in labor all night, I just passed out and Greg said, hey, I'm going to go to work. <laughs> Those were before, how many of you had children before family parental or family leave? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, we might look down on you girls, you young girls that have to have your husbands home with you. <laughs> because we could do it by ourselves. <laughs> However, let me tell you, it wasn't a pretty picture. So Greg goes to work, and here I am. I sit in the chair in the middle of the living room, a rocking chair, and I've got this little bundle of joy in my arms, and I'm just crying and crying and crying, just weeping. And it was postpartum depression. But still, I was overwhelmed by the idea of training this child up for the Lord, you know? It's like, I knew that I could not make my son into a Christian. This required faith. 
So I began to pray. I was sobbing and praying that God would save my son, thinking that it was the only child that I would ever have. But I prayed for wisdom that God would help me to be a godly mom. And there's a Bible, a verse in the Bible that says, if anyone lacks wisdom, what should you do? Ask. And God will, what? Give it to you. You know, there aren't many, there aren't many promises in God's word that are unqualified like that. If we ask God for wisdom, he will give it to us. And then how? How will he give it to us? Generously, liberally. With a prayer, with a, with a promise like that in God's word, how many times should we pray that prayer? Every day. And believe me, I did that. So four years later, Ryan was born. And then two years later after that, Abby was born. As my children grew, I grew. Sometimes all I grew was frustrated <laughs> and exasperated. I was committed to being a stay-at-home stay mom and homeschooling my children. And so, you know, it's you never leave the house. You've always got dirty diapers. You've always got floors that need to be swept and food that needs to be made. And it's just talk about mundane, right? It's mundane. And then the difficulty of raising your children. Wow, they are so different, right? Our kids are so different. How could one be so totally different than the other? And so what worked with that one doesn't work with that one. Ah, it's, it's hard. But training, okay, so, so we need to train our children up. The Bible says, train your children up in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart for it. Well, the training requires discipline. But you know, our society hates discipline, right? Yeah, just do whatever you want to do. Unless, of course, it results in a sculpted body. And then you can post all those pictures on Facebook. <laughs> and you are cool. And then if you have Photoshop, even if you didn't do that, you can post. I'm not, I'm not advocating that. I'm not advocating. But yeah, discipline is very important. We need to discipline our children. Discipline, and I mean discipline as in training, not as always um, beat, beating them. That's not what I get. Training. We're training our children for eternity. Well, my fuse was short, and I often lost my temper. And I grew tired of the interruptions. I got tired of mommy, 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 mommy. I wanted an easy life. I wanted a glamorous life. And I became resentful of these difficulties. You know, as a mom, it is so easy to get so wrapped up in these mundane difficulties. And we think that our lives don't matter, that we are not important. But remember that we are. We're leaving a legacy for our children. We're leaving an eternal legacy. Do not, my friend that used to babysit for us, she was an elderly lady. She would come and watch the kids. She would say, don't, she said, remember, they grow up so quickly. Her children had already grown up. Remember, they grow up so quickly. And it is so true. Those frustrations, you know, they're frustrating. But one of these days, your house is going to be empty. Nobody's going to be making any messes. And it's downright lonely. The silence is deafening. But the important thing is that we need to train our children. We need to take seriously these aspects of our lives so that we're making a difference in our children's lives. When we went on vacation a couple of summers ago, we went to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. And in Franconia Notch, you drive, drive up the interstate right through the mountains, and there's a place called Franconia Notch. And there's uh, a little uh, exit, and it says the basin. So you go to this basin, and it's this place where this huge piece of granite, probably almost as big as this room, has had a stream of water running down the mountain for, what, thousands of years? And that water where, has worn away that piece of granite. It's nice and smooth. Didn't you go in it? Did you go in it? It was too cold. Okay, but we have pictures of them by it. I should have brought those. Anyway, <laughs> this 
granite is worn smooth. There are no sharp edges on this piece of granite. It is beautiful, but it is smoothed by not one year of water rushing down, not two years of water rushing down. It is worn away by thousands of years. We have to consider our role, our job of mothering our children in that way. It's not a one minute event. It is not you obey me right now and then you're done. It's not a one and done. It is a process of years, of days, months, years of training our children. So we have to keep our eyes on eternity. We can't (coughs) throw up our hands in exasperation and we do it. I did it. But what I'm encouraging you is that we have to keep eternity in perspective. So our children need this training. They need discipline not to make them easier to live with, although that is a benefit of disciplining our children. (laughs) But it's for eternity. So we're training them up for eternity. It's good to read Bible stories. It's good to have them memorize Bible verses. This is a good thing. But if those things do not um, connect with everyday life, then there's a great possibility that what we're teaching is hypocrisy. Or, um, um, yeah, we're living hypocrisy. We're teaching hypocrisy. God's word needs to make a difference in our own lives as we are parenting. You know, we all make many mistakes. How many of you made mistakes as a parent? Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a teacher? <laughs> right, we make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Oh, But I remember one Sunday morning, we were sitting in church, and the kids were all teens, um, and the pastor preached the sermon, and I came super convicted over something. I don't even remember what it is, and I don't even know if Abby remembers this, but I would not get up out of the pew until I made it right with my kids, whatever it was. But I was very convicted. So I said to, uh, you know, let's go, Mom, let's go. I said, no, no, sit down. And I explained to them how God had convicted me of this sin, whatever it was. And they started laughing at me. (laughs) Do you remember that? Yeah. They started laughing. I mean, it was this, you know, it's this awkward thing where... Um, you don't know how to react, and that's what it was. And I don't, and like, I don't think Abby even remembers that, but I know that I had to do that. I had to humble myself. I had to admit to my children that I sinned against them, that I failed them. If I didn't do that, then what does the Bible mean anyway? It's just platitudes, right? It has to affect our lives, and it has to affect our relationships. We are preparing our children for eternity. You know, Greg has often asked our children, uh, maybe I shouldn't say often, (laughs) he has asked our children to um, forgive him for sins that he has committed. And we've tried to keep this... um, line of communication open and this transparency. You know, the most valuable legacy we can leave is humility and willingness to repent. Believe me, I'm still working on that. But ladies, hear me. Do you see your task of mothering your children in an eternal way? Do you see the eternal benefit of this? There's a verse that says, anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. (coughs) Disciplining our children is loving them. If we neglect to discipline them and train them to respect and obey authority in their lives, then by default, we are teaching them to dishonor God and disobey God. But when we require respect and obedience from our children, we teach them to respect and obey God, whom they cannot see. See, it has to have flesh and blood application. So don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep in mind the eternal legacy that you are leaving your children. 
So motherhood is just one way, and not all of us are mothers. Some of us are not there yet, others are beyond that, and still some will never be mothers. But we do have other relationships. And Jesus said that when we show kindness so to the least of these, we do it to him. So when we give a cup of cold water, when we give food to the hungry, when we um, welcome the stranger, when we clothe the poor, when we visit the prisoner, we are doing it as we can do it as to Jesus. So I want to encourage you to open your eyes. Opportunities abound, right? This is the, it's most effectively done. This kind of work is most effectively done one-on-one or flesh and blood. It's so easy to be able to check, you know, and soothe our conscience. Like, I did that. I helped the poor. But there's somebody near you that needs to hear about Christ. Somebody that you rub shoulders with. In your sphere of influence, you can have an impact on someone. You know, when I was in high school, and I don't see many high school students here, but when I was in high school, no one ever invited me to church. I, was, I had a graduating class of 300, more than 300 students, and I didn't know one Christian in my high school. And this is a tragedy. So if you are in high school or if you have children in high school, talk to your kids about inviting them to church, you know, doing something. Maybe you can pick them up and bring them to church. There's a way you can make a difference in someone's life. I remember Lauren invited Abby to her youth group. And that made a huge difference in Abby's life. When I was a freshman in college, I didn't know much about the Bible, but I had just become a Christian, so I invited my youth pastor to come to our college and hold a Bible study. And we invite Margaret and I, we invited our friends, we invited lots of people to this Bible study, and so God's word was uh, proclaimed. Abby now has a Bible study, she and Madeline and few other girls, they hold this Bible study. It was just the three of them at first when she was a freshman. And now, how many are in your study this year? About 10. 10. Last year, there was more, right? There was like 15 students. So God's word is being proclaimed and impacting people's lives. God's word is powerful. Our words are not so powerful, but God's word is. So invite your friends. Well, let's go back to when I was uh, a new Christian. I Um, came home from college and my sister was like freaked out. Here I was this, I was the one that this time was saying praise the Lord and hallelujah. (laughs) So she started asking me, she was peppering me with all these questions. We stayed up till three o'clock in the morning, I think. I think it was about three o'clock in the morning talking about God. What did I know? I didn't have all the answers. You know, I got saved in October. Here it was. I think it was Christmas break. It could have been spring break. Anyway, I didn't know much, but um, I went back to college and then I came home for the summer. Whoa. She didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. She completely rejected me. I asked her for permission to share this and she said that I could. Um, She would, um, she told me, she goes, just do me a favor. Stop praying for me. And I said, um, can't do that. I'm, I'm going to keep praying. Well, she didn't like that answer. So she, whenever I was around, she would turn up her rock and roll music real loud and she would swear just to spite me. You know, she was being awful and she will admit that. But you know, over the years, God made a difference. God was working. See, we don't see. It's like that water rushing down into that piece of granite. It took 12 years for my sister for that message of the gospel to come to fruition in her life. And she began to go to church. She, be, uh, she trusted Christ as her savior. 12 years after that, her husband trusted Christ. And then a few years ago, they moved to Florida. So just getting someone to pray the prayer of salvation is not the goal, right? We, we want to encourage people to continue to live for the Lord. So here they were. They moved to Florida. They hadn't found a church. She was not as happy as she thought she would be moving to the Sunshine State. <laughs> so I said, why don't we just share with each other every day? Email. Email what you read in the Bible, what you think is in, 
you know, meant something to you and I'll do the same. We'll just do this back and forth. Well, we started doing that. Wow, I have seen this, my sister grow. She is so strong in her faith now. And she is active in her church. She's sharing Christ with others. Wow, a big, big difference. All we did was just a little email every day. I mean, not every single day, but most days, you know? Though we are more than a thousand miles further apart, we are um, closer in our relationship now than we've ever been. When we were in Rhode Island, we befriended a couple of young girls whose mother had abandoned them and left them to live with their grandmother. And so we started asking them to do things with us, come over, spend a Saturday afternoon, go to the park, have a meal, whatever. These children needed to know that somebody cared for them. And probably every single one of us in here know of a child in that kind of a situation. You can do this. It won't take much, you know? When our boys were young, we had a foreign exchange student from Spain. We had her come and spend that summer with us. And her father was a merchant marine, so she hardly ever saw him. He would be gone for months at a time. And um, it was tough, tough going there at the beginning because she could hardly speak English and we could not speak Spanish. But we stuck it out. We took her, to, took her to church. We befriended her. We talked to her about the Lord and we prayed with her. And then um, she left for that year. We kept in touch. And then Abby was born and she had to come back and see Abby. So she came back the next summer. A couple, year, couple years later, she came back the next summer. Over the years, we have shared Christ with her. She should probably come eight or ten times back to visit us. And then Abby, a couple summers ago, got to go visit her. She now has a little baby, and we hope to go visit her. But we planted seeds in her life. My friend Tammy and I started going to a nursing home. We visit the elderly there. We sing hymns and um, share scriptures with her. Many of these women feel like prisoners, like they are um, just abandoned to die. Well, Lois actually said that to me. She goes, I just feel like my kids have left me here to die. Um, she said, I took care of my, my, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law until they died. I brought my mother home to live with us until, until he, she died. And now here I am. I thought one of my children would at least do the same for me. Man, that broke my heart. I felt so badly for her, but we challenged her. We said, hey, Lois, probably a lot of people feel this way, but you can be friendly. You can share the love of Christ with them. She was a believer, and you know she's doing that now. She is making a difference in the lives of other people. Sometimes when we sing the hymns, some of these elderly people, they can't even speak to you. They can't even carry on a conversation. But when you start singing those hymns, have you noticed? They're, they get these big smiles on their faces and they'll start singing. What a blessing. That's a cup of cold water. That is visiting a prisoner. So I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying how many, there are nursing homes everywhere. There are places where you can make a difference in somebody's life. We only go once a month, you know, but over the years we've made relationships with these women mostly women. Our children know that they can bring friends home um, to share a meal. They invite college students, their friends, and Shahoy is one of those. We have had her at our house for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it's a blessing to have her. You know, some of these kids that she has brought home have never been in a Christian church. Some of them don't know, and so we bring them to church, and we, um, we just love on them. We work in our Awana program. Awana is a program for children to teach them um, Bible verses uh, to share, um, hide them in their hearts. You know, it's really a great program. My husband and I have done this for many years. Um, this last year, he had five students. He teaches the large group class, but he also listens to a few recite their verses and last year he had five students and I think four of them were hardly um, keeping up and they were really struggling and they just every week didn't I don't have a verse I don't have a verse and 
and they became more and more defeated. You know, the further behind you get, it's like, why bother? So Greg started sending an email to their parents, just saying, this is the first so-and-so's working on. Can you work on, on it with them? He would do that every week with, I think, four of the students. And all five of the kids in his group finished their book. And you might think, oh, well, you know, so what? They finished the book. But I want to tell you about the other end of the story. When we lived in Fort Wayne, there was a, a boy named Dylan, and his dad was dying. He had cancer, and he was dying. And so, you know, that is a tough thing in a family, and Awana is just not important anymore, right? I mean, how can you work with your kids with Bible verses when you're trying to take care of your husband who is dying. So he couldn't, uh, his dad couldn't do that. His mom couldn't do that. So Greg would call this boy. He would call him every week for a while and just say, hey, I want to listen to your verse. And he would encourage him and pray with him. Well, I forgot all about Dylan. But my friend Beth, we met for lunch in Defiance, and she told me that Dylan, who is a friend of her son's, just graduated from seminary and is a pastor somewhere in Indiana. I mean, I was like, you're kidding me. Now, do I say that? I mean, was this Greg's work? No, this was not Greg's work. Greg does not have superpowers. But some plant, right? Some water. But God gives the increase. We had no idea. We weren't doing this because, oh, someday that boy's going to be a pastor. No, we had no idea. But God was glorified in this. So we have to keep our eyes on eternity. Sometimes it's difficult when we're working with people because they don't do what we want them to do. They don't change like we want them to change. But we have to be patient. Remember the water coming down the mountain, carving out, smoothing out that huge piece of granite. It's not the work of moments. It's not the work of days. It is the work of a lifetime. So let's invest in people. You can leave a legacy. The things that you do can bear fruit. So we've talked about sharing the love of Christ and what that is. We've talked about sharing the love of Christ in the role, in the position that you have right now. The last thing I want to talk about is sharing the love of Christ regardless of our circumstances. So in 2005, my husband and I, or my husband took a job here in Toledo. And I was, I had told him, nope, we are not moving anymore. We are not moving. I'm tired of moving. We're not going to do this. And then he comes home and says, got this job opportunity in Toledo. And I was like, oh, okay. So I was complaining to my friend. And she shared with me this scripture from Acts that I put on your paper. And how many times have I read the book of Acts? I've read it many times. I had read it up to that point many times. And yet I never realized this verse. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the set times for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him though he is not and find him though he is not far from any one of us the truth of this verse hit me smack between the eyes this was not just a whim of my husband's i did not draw the short straw and by chance have to uproot my family again God determined the exact times and places where I should live. And you might think, oh, you're just taking that verse out of context. No, I'm not. This is a theme all throughout the Bible, right? Joseph, what happened? He was sold into slavery. Then he was falsely accused and put in prison. You see, he was uprooted and moved against his will. <laughs> but God determined. What did Joseph say at the end to his brothers? What you meant for God meant for good. So let's trust God even in our difficult circumstances. The bottom line is that life is hard. Your best life is not now. That's a lie that sells lots of books. If our best life was now, <laughs> what would the promise of heaven be? Our best life is eternal life with the Lord, Lord Jesus.
and we don't understand what heaven's going to be like but like but it's going to be good it's going to be better than now you know um I've experienced some very difficult times but in my life, but my life has probably been a cakewalk compared to some of yours. You know, infertility, miscarriage, the uprooting of our family so many times, and rejection. I mean, my family rejecting me? That was hard. But God is, you know, there was a song in the 90s, do you remember, from a distance. God is watching you. Some of you old folks might remember that. <laughs> hey, we're peers, right? <laughs> you might have heard that before, but we heard it when it came out. Yeah, that's right. When it was on the charts. <laughs> God is not watching from a distance. There's another lie. That is another lie. God will never leave you nor forsake you. He answers the when, the where, and the why of our existence. So this is my last three points. Yep, oh, I'll try to hurry. Okay, sometimes we are overcome by fear because, I mean, does it make you happy when you watch the news? Does it make you all warm and fuzzy inside? No. Watching the news, scrolling through your news feed, seeing about this disaster and that disaster and that shooting and like, where is God? God is here. He is with us. He determined the exact times and places where we should live. But the news media, they get their claws in you and they want you to be afraid because they want you to depend upon their words because they're paid by advertising. <laughs> The more people that they get watch their show, the more money they're going to make. So they are just henny penny crying out. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Right. And they want to, you to believe that God is just way off on some distant planet and he's not even caring. But he's not. He is with us. He determined the exact times and places that we should live. What did Esther say? What did Esther say? Yes, for such a time as this. <laughs> it left me momentarily. Yes, you were born for, she was born for such a time as this. And I believe that we're born for such a time as this too. You know, we can be used of God in as great a way as Esther was or Joseph or anybody if we submit ourselves to God. So he determined the when right now, even when there's all these horrible things happening that we see about on TV. Oh, so turn it off, okay? Spend your time in God's word. That brings peace. That brings uh, a centering to our hearts that we, oh yeah, oh yeah, I have to, oh yeah. Right, I can trust in God. God is faithful. I can trust in Him. When we're scrolling through our news feed, we lose all that. So, turn to God's Word, and that will, that will help you. But He determined the exact places. You know, you might be like me thinking, I, not one more time, I'm not going to move one more time. I refuse to do this. Or you may think, if I could only move. If I, I just can't stand living here anymore. I just need to move, you know. But God has placed you here now for such a time as this. He can make good out of your circumstances right here, right now. You can bring glory to God if you will deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. He's, um, Paul was in prison when he wrote the book of Philippians, right? But he said, I have learned, I have learned, I've been in need and I've been in plenty and I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether in need or in want. And what's the next verse? Does anybody know the next verse? Verse eight. Yeah. Yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Guess what? That verse does not mean I can leap tall buildings in a single bound. That's not what that means. That verse does not mean I can get an A on my final exam, even if I don't study. 
No, that is not what that verse means. That verse is all about contentment. Just read the the few, few verses right ahead of that. I have learned to be content in plenty. I have learned to be content in want. It's all about contentment, those verses. We can be content through Christ Jesus. But that only happens when we take our eyes off of ourselves and our own situations and we look to God and we are thankful. See, we've got to be thankful. God is not, he doesn't make accidents. He, he doesn't say, oh, I wish oh, it, I wasn't looking, you know, no, everything. God is in control. If he's not in control, he is not God. He determined the when, the where, and then he determined the why. He determined the why is that very last sentence in this verse. So that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. This is it. This is the main point. We can leave a legacy. We can bring glory to God that is lasting, that our children, that our grandchildren will remember if we take our eyes off of ourselves and if we keep our eyes on the Lord and if we look around us and see who is in need. Where are you? Where do you live? You can make a difference in your children's life. You can make a difference in your coworkers' life, in your neighbor's life, in your friend's life. You can make a difference, but not if you're self-focused, only if you're God-focused and others. You know, the Good Samaritan was not good because he sent a check to an organization. The two religious men, they saw that man in the ditch, lying on the ground, and they went to the other side of the road because, you know, I just don't have time. I don't want to get involved. I might get sued, you know. No, they had good reasons for walking around the, the, those two religious men. Are we going to be like those religious men? Are we going to see that person that's in need and reach out to them? Hey, you guys, Christ, people's crises are not on our calendar, right? Right? We don't have an appointment for, oh, so-and-so's got a um, car broke down and that'll be tomorrow at nine and then, no, no. It happens, it's a momentary thing. Are we willing to help someone or are we too busy? Or are we afraid? Or what is it? Let's be like the Good Samaritan, like, not like those religious guys. They were, the priest and the Levite, they were very religious, okay. So I've had given you lots of examples. There's a book in the bookstore, Rosaria Butterfield's um, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I didn't read that one, but I read a couple of other books. And she talks about taking a picnic table. She painted it some color. Anybody read it? Pink or yellow or something. And she put it on her front lawn. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to put a picnic table on my front lawn. I don't want to invite 25 people home for dinner after church. You know, I don't have to do that. That's not what God has called me to do. God has called me to reach out to somebody in my sphere of influence, not her sphere of influence, not your sphere of influence. Who do you know? Who is your neighbor? Who is hurting? The lady that lived three, downs, three houses down from me almost died a few years ago. I had no idea. I've tried to reach out to her since then, and she's got her guard way up. But it dawned on me that, you know, we're busy going to the other side of the world when our neighbor down the road is about to die, or the woman in the nursing home is abandoned by her husband. We need to reach out. We need to deny ourselves. We need to look to the needs of others. We cannot make a difference if we always think about ourselves and our own, our own issues, our own problems, our own schedules. Okay, sorry. These are very valuable to me. They're not very valuable to some people. But Christ is in you. Christ is the hope of glory. Do you have Christ in you? Share that with someone. 
share Christ in you. You can leave this as a legacy. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so now it's time to think about whether or not we are leaving a spiritual legacy. I actually want to remind you of the three truths that Nell shared today. Number one, we need to share the love of Christ around us. This includes our family and our neighbors, our coworkers, and our friends. Number two, we need to share in the role that God has placed us in. This makes me think of the fact that not everyone is called to be a missionary overseas, but we are all called to speak of the good news of Jesus wherever we are. So, view your every day as a mission field and share when you can. The third one was that we are called to share the love of Jesus no matter our circumstance. This means we are not given a pass if we're going through something hard or if we are uncomfortable, we're still called to share. The next thing that I think to ask is just a couple of questions. So first, who poured into your life? Who was a great example before you that encouraged you to follow God? Have you thanked God for them? To, have you thanked them today? If you can, I encourage you to reach out to that person or people and tell them how they've influenced your life. Look around you too. Maybe it's time for you to start influencing others. Who are you pouring into? Who are you leading? And hey, if you're a mom, then you already have an automatic group of little people in your home you are leading. But don't stop there. You can be influencing and leading coworkers, neighbors, extended family members, your kids' friends, and even the librarian at your local library or the gas station attendant. Let's be women who are focused on leaving a spiritual legacy behind for all those who follow in our footsteps. Hey, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Nell and for her willingness to share how you have changed her and how you used other people in her life. I pray that you would help us to be thinking about women that we can pour into. Help us to leave a spiritual legacy to our children and our spiritual children in the years to come. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, next week we're going to jump into our episode number 125, and that's our 11th installment of Feminology. We're going to discuss how we can be industrious. These are really great episodes we've been doing every year on the first Thursday of each month. They are full of practicality, and they're also full of a little bit of humor. I hope you'll join us next week for that episode. And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time.